Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. High Strange is released weekly, every Thursday, brought to you absolutely free. But if you want to binge the whole season, it's available right now on Apple Podcasts for all Tenderfoot Plus subscribers. You'll also get exclusive bonus episodes throughout the season. For more information, check out the show notes. Enjoy the episode. As I was en route, five or six calls start coming in about a huge light in the sky. I was at a stop sign. A big beam of light came upon my vehicle. All at once, my car shut off. My computer, my radio. I saw a huge light in the sky, it just hit my car. I had no idea what it was. I slammed my car in park, got out of the car. There was no sound, I couldn't hear anything. It lit this whole street up, just hovering there, no sound. Oh my God, I hope that's a plane. Oh Jesus Christ, please be a plane. Oh please, I ain't ready for this shit. Welcome to High Strange. A little after midnight in 1994, strange lights were seen over the northeastern sky of Ohio. Local residents from all around Trumbull County began calling into local news stations to report it. The following is the actual tape from the 911 dispatch center. Any dispatch may help you. Royanne Rudolph was working at the dispatch center that night in Youngstown, Ohio. I was a dispatcher, telecommunicator at the Trumbull County 911 Center. The first few hours were relatively quiet. Everybody was just settling in. We get a call from one of our local media personalities from a TV station. County dispatch, may I help you? This is Stacy from 33. Hi, Stacy, how are you? This one saw something. Blue green, no noise, no noise. It was low flying and a big glowing object. We started getting a couple phone calls about people who were seeing a light in the sky. Somebody called in, but I, mm, not, and I really don't know what that would be. At first, she thought this whole thing might be a joke, or at the very least, a misinterpretation of something normal in the sky like a balloon or a plane. But it wasn't long before she started receiving her own calls to the police station. The calls started spanning out a little bit from that area. Then the calls became more and more frequent. She tried to rationalize the report she was receiving, starting with the most obvious. It's a hoax, or a small plane, or a helicopter. Probably nothing worth alerting her police officers about. But the 911 calls were multiplying faster than she could keep up. I just can't quite make it out through my binoculars. That bugger has not moved. 
They were upset by the object not moving. They were really upset because there was no noise. I didn't hear a sound. The only sound I heard was my car. Well, what was, what was, was it moving or was it just... Yeah, it was glowing. It was, you, could, you could see it like up in the air, glowing, getting further away from me. The townspeople were clearly genuinely concerned. She took it upon herself to inform the officers of the situation. At this point, it warranted some real investigating. What typically happens is you dispatch the units and I picked the officer I thought would respond without getting upset that I sent him on this because it just sounded so, it just sounded like a lot to process. Of the three officers, I picked the one officer who was a friend of mine who I didn't think would be upset that I sent him. My name's Toby Malaro, Liberty Township, Ohio. I'm a police officer. We were used to getting calls like that. The C-130s would be training, and they would shut their lights off sometimes, open them up, so there was no big rush in going to check this out. Toby was dispatched to investigate what exactly was going on here. Hey, listen, there's some people who are flipping out. Uh, they're seeing some lights in the sky, and they are panicky about this. He said, all right, I'll, I'll head that way. Give me a minute. As I was en route, five or six calls start coming in about a huge light in the sky. We continue fielding calls, and all of a sudden, other police units in the general vicinity start seeing it. Bob, I swear to God, four calls in on an unidentified object every Liberty. Four calls. Four calls on an unidentified flying object. over a dozen officers had reported to Roy Ann that they had seen a UFO, and she passed this information to all active law enforcement units in the area in an attempt to triangulate where this thing was. These are seasoned police officers, people who have great credibility, and now they're seeing some things. And you start hearing these other departments talking over the various frequencies, and the other dispatchers are speaking and conversing about these lights. These officers were 10, 20 miles apart from one another, and they're all saying they're seeing these formations, they're seeing these lights, and that changed everything. What color is it? Because I got it. from like a white. Whitish red to pulsating uh, greenish lavender. So what did you really think it was? I don't know. I, I, I didn't hear when I came across it. Whatever it is, it's big. I just got a glimpse of it. It became clear that whatever was happening in the skies wasn't going away anytime soon. Multiple police stations are reporting the same things. What they were seeing in the sky that night was reported to be as big as a football field, hovering low and emitting no sound at all. When you start hearing people who have been respected, members of the law enforcement community, and you say, okay, this now has a little bit more credibility. What do you do? How do you handle that? One of the officers who witnessed the object that night 
named Lieutenant James Baker, decided to climb an abandoned radar tower to get a better look. According to Baker, there wasn't just one UFO, but three, forming a triangle and flashing color in unison. Multiple officers were in pursuit of the object in their patrol cars, speeding through town, trying to keep up with it. I told them to call the airbase to see if they had anything on radar or if they had some type of plane out or something going on. Uh, yes, sir. This is Ryan from Liberty Township Police Department. We have a report of some flying object in our jurisdiction. Do you know of anything that should be in our airspace this time, close to the ground? Look at the uh, bridge built at uh, it goes 60 miles diameter of Youngstown, and there is nothing out there. Nothing on the radar scope. Oh, shit. I didn't anticipate I'd get a lot, but I certainly didn't expect to hear there's nothing. Within a 60-mile radius, nothing at all was appearing on the FAA's radar systems. I would like to think it could have been something from the airbase. My conversation with the gentleman that I spoke with at the airbase, it was a little bit unsettling only because his sincerity, the honesty in him telling me I see nothing, it made you shudder because you expected him to come back with some kind of answer. It was a December night, but it was really hot outside. It was like 60 degrees. It was close to midnight. While heading to the scene of the latest sighting, Toby was approached by a nervous bystander in the neighborhood. He was standing in the street and waved him down as he approached in his squad car. He actually stopped me when I was coming down the road, walked out to the street and said I had just been over his house. The man was visibly unsettled and claimed that just moments ago, he had seen the object hovering directly above his house. I said, what was this over your house? I'm looking in the skies, I don't see anything. To be honest with you, I thought maybe this guy had been drinking a little bit. What direction did it go? He said south. At first, Toby didn't believe this man, but that was about to change. I told him to go back in his house, go relax and I'll check it out. I continued down the street, the direction he told me it headed south. Toby arrives in the area, marks himself in the area. We have what we call a checkup, what's called a code six, and that means everything okay with you. And if it is, you acknowledge that nothing's wrong. I gave Toby several code sixes and I was getting nothing back. Toby went radio silent. I don't know if something bad happened to him. I don't know if something happened to his car. I don't know if he had an accident, but he, he was not responding. And that's a problem when you're a dispatcher. That is the worst fear of any dispatcher. She continued to send out the are you okay communication called Code 6. But for 10 full minutes, she was getting no response at all. At this point, the situation escalated to all hands on deck. Officers from all around the county were sent to check on him. It felt like an eternity. There are times when people, hey, I stepped into the restroom and I didn't bring my portable with me. There are times when that happens, but you have a responsibility to send people, start them in that direction. It's a lifeline. I was at a stop sign, a big beam of light came upon my vehicle. All at once, my car shut off. My computer, my radio. I was still in drive. A huge light in the sky just hit my car. I slammed my car in park, got out of the car. I had no idea what it was. Initially, I thought it was a plane. However, there was no sound. I couldn't hear anything. I had to physically shield my eyes. 
just an intense bright light about 100 feet above tree level. It lit this whole street up, just hovering there, no sound. It was long, oval in shape, the size of a football field or better. I was trying to determine exactly what it was. I've never seen anything that intense, that bright, without making noise. And then all of a sudden, it just shot off. As it moved off, everything in my car turned back on. My car started back up. At that point, I started to radio my location. They were asking me if I was code six, which meant, are you okay? They said I was off air, I think like four minutes. <laughs> that didn't seem right. I said, I'm fine. I told them what I saw, the direction of travel of the light. I gave them a direction of travel, and they start pursuing the lights. Other jurisdictions start picking that up, saying that we see it. I've lived there all my life, and I know that these planes fly. You know, maybe the Air Force is trying out a different type of airplane, and they're not going to tell you what they're doing. As time progressed, we tried to get information from the military base. They didn't want to even say anything about it. That's where my, my rationale came, that it was something from the base itself. I really didn't think it was anything more than that initially, until the calls were coming back that there's nothing up in the sky, then I, I didn't know what to think. Why would they be lying? It was a strange occurrence. You know, I don't want to get into, is it from another world? I, you know, I, I didn't want to get into that. But hey, anything's possible. My logic, my way to rationalize what I saw was it was something from the military base, some type of plane they were testing out. And obviously they don't want that information to get out. I don't know what went on that specific night. That was a complete anomaly. I'm hesitant to put any kind of title on it or label it. I expected to come back with something tangent that you could offer people and there was nothing we could provide anybody. For me, knowing the area, knowing that we have an air base, that just made sense to me. Everybody denied that it had anything to do with our military base from the base. They said they had nothing on radar at all. Maybe for someone else, it being aliens would fit their logic, but our base is one of the bigger Air Force bases. You know, could it have came from there? That's what I was thinking. I just know that I've been a police officer for 30 years. I've never had anything like that ever happen before. There's been sightings forever, going back to before Christ. I don't know exactly what it was, but I know what I saw. Being in law enforcement, you want solutions. You want finality. There's nothing finite about what happened that night. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. 
That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com odyssey. That's greenlight.com odyssey. Last Thursday on the Paul Benzequin Show, WEEI heard a carefully documented account of the sighting of an object in the sky. In the long history of UFO sightings throughout the entire world, it's certainly safe to say they're not all alien spaceships. Her husband and her 14-year-old son had seen an extremely bright object, 63 degrees high on the eastern sky. She said it could have been as bright as the moon and was traveling at a speed her husband calculated at 22,500 miles per hour. And no matter how strange those lights in the sky may appear, things are not always what they seem. The sighting would ultimately be identified, for the object was well known from the outset. When Mrs. Clinton was asked if the object was as bright as the moon, she said, it could have been. Of course it could. It was the moon. The moon she described was one day less than full, and by simply omitting its name, she caused a flurry of calls based on the most identifiable object in the night sky. It is fair to wonder this. Among the 9,000 UFOs reported over the past 10 years or so, how many were like this one? It's just kind of illustrates the illusionary perception of shapes. Here's Mick West, investigative skeptic. There was a minor case on Twitter a while ago where someone in Orlando was seeing these circles of lights in the sky. It looked like a giant alien spaceship hovering above the clouds. Luckily, she got a street sign in the video shot and I tracked down which street that was and where she was standing and what direction she was looking in. Plugged it into Google Earth. Five miles over in that direction was Disney World. The obvious answer was you're looking at the Disneyland light show and there was a low clouds reflecting that light show. You get things that match, but you can't come out and say 100% that's what it was. It's a coincidence that in five miles in that direction was Disneyland and they often have light shows. With Reynolds from Forest, it's a coincidence that in the direction they were looking, there's a lighthouse. Does it solve it 100%? Not for everybody, but I think it really moves the explanation to the top of the list. For decades, UFO hoaxes have continued to muddy the water. It's like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. As soon as you find out that really crazy video you saw was just a prank, it can start to make you question everything. 
and a lot of these UFO hoaxes have been pretty damn convincing. A strange sight. Red blinking lights could be seen across Morris County, New Jersey last night. I looked up outside and I was really scared and I just saw these five red lights. One night in New Jersey, there were multiple reports of a UFO outside the suburb of Morristown. At 8.28, the Hanover Township Police received the first of seven 911 calls. There were dozens of witnesses, panicky phone calls to police, and extensive local news coverage. It was unsettling, yeah, for sure, just so. because you're watching something that you have no idea you've never seen before. Eyewitness accounts are not always accurate. You got very different accounts from different people. Some people will just say they saw a light. Some people will say they saw like a triangle-shaped craft. Or some people say they saw things that were the size of a football field flying overhead. In 2009, a group of friends decided to document their own UFO hoax. All right, here we go. Here's the flare. What we're doing is we're just putting a little fishing line around the bottom of it. They tied flares to helium balloons, and one at a time just let them off in the air. We're about to go out and do our little hoax and see what kind of reaction we can get. And before they knew it, people were calling into local news stations. The prank has worked beautifully. It's all over the news, News 12 New Jersey. Just as they planned, they fooled the whole town into believing an alien spacecraft was about to take over New Jersey. Roadside flares attached to helium balloons. But how easy are these to really pull off? And honestly, how common is it? The difficult thing with UFO hoaxes is really people keeping quiet about it. There was a case in France where they faked a UFO sighting by attaching a light stick to a drone. Some people interpreted them as being UFOs and there's all these different accounts, obviously, because there's different people. It's not hard at all to fake things tie something to a drone or have a drone with big flashing lights or something, fly that over a few neighborhoods and someone's going to see it. If you wanted to simply create something that people would interpret as a UFO, it's not that hard. Well, let's just see then. If I wanted to make my own UFO hoax, could I actually pull it off? And will I go to jail? I met with my team, and one of our producers, Dylan, was super into the idea. And he took it upon himself to create a UFO hoax master plan. We were sitting around drinking some beers at a bar. We came up with this idea of creating our own UFO hoax. How hard would it be to make our own UFO? We considered flying up five or six drones with a bunch of different colored lights on it. Could we build something and fly it over the city? Or like, how, how legal would that be? How illegal would that be? Would we all end up in prison for this? Building it in Atlanta over the city just seemed like a bad idea in general. There's a good chance we could get arrested for flying in airspace, restricted airspace. We almost needed a more open area, somewhere where we could get away with this. We were filming some promotional videos for the podcast in Sedona, Arizona, and decided since we're out here, might as well make the best of it, right? out in the middle of the desert. We figured, hey, this could be the perfect time to try this out. We're in the desert, we're not near any airports. So we had come up with all these different concepts of how to do this. I finally settled on this idea of creating a helium-filled saucer-shaped balloon. 
I talked to Payne about it, and we decided this would be the perfect time and place to do something like this. I built a prototype to begin with, just to make sure that this concept would actually work. And I built the prototype out of a really thin plastic sheeting, basically the, the plastic sheeting you'd put down if you were to like paint your house or something. The sheeting that I used was incredibly thin, which was great for my weight to lift ratio. It made the craft very light, but it also made it very puncturable. It made it very likely to pop or explode because it was just so thin. You could almost stick your finger through it just trying to work with it. First thing I think is I need a thicker plastic sheet because that's gonna make this craft more durable. It's gonna make sure that when we send it up, it doesn't catch on some tree branch somewhere and just rip a big hole in it. But that also means it's four times the weight. And this weight ratio is the biggest thing that I'm struggling with. How do I make this craft light enough that it'll float, but big enough that it can be seen and strong enough that it's durable and won't blow in the wind and explode in the sky or catch on something or rip? The big thing with helium balloon is it has to be incredibly light. You need a lot of it to pick up even a little bit of weight. 150 cubic feet of helium to fill this thing. I spend pretty much a full day just looking around Arizona for helium. Apparently there's a helium shortage in America right now. So I finally find some industrial warehouse that has an excess supply of helium. So I walk in and I'm just a, an average looking guy. And I walk in, I'm like, hey, I need a 150 cubic feet of helium. And he's like, what do you need that for? It's a lot of helium. You, you're filling something up? So I was very direct with him about it. I'm building a UFO. <laughs> he laughed and said, well, you know, I'll sell it to you, but I better not see this on the news later. <laughs> well, that's kind of the point. The whole goal is to get this thing in the air and on the news. I have all these materials, thousands of dollars worth of materials just strewn around our Airbnb. Taping every part of it that I can think of, looking for holes, looking for any place where helium can escape. Any hole that's bigger than the atom of helium, it'll leak out of. Taping every edge, every corner, every crease, I've, I've rechecked, I've done the math two or three times. The amount that we have will fill this craft and it should be light enough and buoyant enough that it'll float. Sounds like a solid plan. I watched as Dylan and the rest of the crew put together this craft outside the parking lot of our Airbnb. This has to work, this hoax has to work. We've spent so much time, so much money's been invested and it's going to work. It's now 2 a.m. because I've spent all day. It's below freezing outside. You can't see anything in front of you. Taping the last little bit. Put the lights on. I turn the lights on. We're ready to go. Pick this thing up. It's nine feet across in diameter. It's huge. We start to fill it up. Is it going in there? It's filling, it's looking great. I'm getting really excited. Okay, good. My confidence is up 90%, 95%. This is totally gonna work. All right, really quick. Then all of a sudden, the helium tank just fizzles out. That was all the helium. This thing isn't even half full of helium yet. Not floating by any means. It's definitely still crashing to the ground all that time invested and there's no more helium. It was devastating and I, I'll admit, I definitely had to just like go sit down in a corner somewhere and just question all my life decisions <laughs> coming up to that point. I cried in a corner by myself. And then after that, 
I just got so fed up with it. I was so angry and I had nowhere to release my anger. So I released it on the UFO. I felt pretty good about destroying that which I had created. <laughs> Even though our hoax didn't work out, I think I still learned a really valuable lesson. Hoaxes are really hard to pull off. You hear all these stories all the time about everything in the sky must be a hoax, it must be a balloon, it's a drone, it's something like that. But the truth is, Things that don't look like commercial aircraft, nine times out of 10, take a lot of very capable knowledge to pull off. A million things need to go right and nothing can go wrong for something like that to really happen. But again, I'm no scientist. I'm not an engineer. I don't know, just some guy. Dylan was greatly disappointed, but at the last minute, we decided to try one more thing. We took our drone, then suspended a really bright LED light from the bottom of it then just flew it up in the air as high as we could get it. And I will say, it does look pretty UFO-y. You can check it out for yourself on our Instagram and TikTok page. Just go to at High Strange. I uploaded the full-length UFO hoax adventure, or shall I say, fail. Sorry, Dylan. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Some of the most infamous UFO cases throughout our history have clearly challenged all rational explanations. It doesn't mean that they're entirely true, but they've stood the test of time enough that they still puzzle us today. But there's a difference between claiming to see strange lights in the sky and living out a literal nightmare. Some cases are not just weird or hard to explain. Some of them are flat out terrifying. And the following story takes the cake for the scariest claim that I've ever heard. Betty and Barney Hill will be speaking to us long distance from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hello, which one have I got on the line or have I got your phone? You have a phone line. Oh, how wonderful. Hello, that's you, Barney? Yes, that's correct. And Betty, are you there? Yes, I'm there. On September 19th, 1961, newlyweds Betty and Barney Hill were traveling overnight along U.S. Route 3, a deserted empty road in the mountains of New Hampshire. What transpired that night changed their lives forever and would arguably inspire and shape the horror genre of alien encounters in pop culture forever. We have to go back to 1961, Betty and I were returning from a vacation trip in Canada and arrived in New Hampshire close to 9.30 o'clock p.m. We stopped in a town called Coldfield, New Hampshire. We had refreshments with coffee and a hamburger, and we left approximately 10 o'clock shortly after that. After Barney finished his burger and Betty had a slice of chocolate cake, 
they figured they could make it home from the diner at around 2 or 3 a.m. The roads were basically empty that night, as it was too early for ski or hunting season. While gazing at the moon, Betty noticed a bright star to the left of it, and then another star appearing right above it that was slowly getting bigger and brighter. Betty calls my attention to an object that she has been watching. We thought it was a satellite. It went across the face of the moon, made a sharp turn, and started to come in towards our car. Barney was a World War II vet and enjoyed plane watching. He was almost instantly convinced that the object was likely something conventional and paid little attention to it. My remarks to her was that it was obviously a satellite. This would have been a natural explanation. Prior to 1961, I was totally close-minded about the flying saucers or UFOs. Throughout their drive, they both continued to watch the object as the trees and mountains surrounding them began obstructing their view. Now it is something that you can see in the sky, like a light with the sky in the background. Betty noticed that the lights on the object were behaving differently than that of a normal plane. What would typically be a single red blinking light appeared to be changing colors in an unusual pattern. The object was now going along in the same direction we were going. For a moment, it felt like they were being followed by the object. The object went around the west side of the mountain, now in front of us. Both Betty and Barney could see the craft clearly through their windshield. I got out of the car to see the binoculars, and lo and behold, the object then shifted, which brought us over to the driver's side of the car. And I became determined then to find out what this is. It has to have some natural explanation. They stopped the car again and got out, took with them binoculars that were on the front seat. They looked through the binoculars and saw this object hovering perhaps a hundred feet above their car to one side of the road. The slow movement. I'm looking at it with the binoculars and I can't believe what I am seeing. Borney described the craft as wide as three telephone poles and made no noise. With the binoculars, I can discern what I call figures moving about at a huge plate glass that seems to curve around. Barney could see a double row of windows on this pancake-shaped object. He pulled into a nearby field to get a closer look, when he saw something much more unsettling. Inside the craft that was hovering there, he could see half a dozen living beings, wearing what appeared to be black uniforms, staring directly at him. These figures that were looking seemingly down towards me because the object was tilted, and I could see with the binoculars what I thought were arms going up, touching or pulling on levers. I, I, I was just completely baffled standing here seeing this. I pulled the binoculars away from my eyes, dashing back to the car, screaming to Betty, Oh my God, I said, Betty, this is going to capture us. I entered the car, put it in the gear, and the object shifted overhead. They now got into that car and sped away for what they thought was their own lives. They rounded a curve to the left, and that car inexplicably just stopped. The car vibrated. I felt it with my hands on the steering wheel. I felt it tingling on the steering column. After a tingling in the steering column, they heard a series of irregular beeps. Then a haze came over them. 
All of a sudden they realized they had traveled about 35 miles from Indian Head to Ashland, New Hampshire, with no recollection of that part of the drive. They slowly approached what appeared to be a roadblock in the middle of nowhere. Alongside the road, at ground level, was this immense, intense orange glow. Several men, dressed in rather strange uniforms, were lined across the road. They all stepped back, but one stayed behind and remained looking at him. Their eyes were unlike anything he'd seen before. The car wouldn't stop. These men came over, removed them from the car, escorted them to the source of this light in the woods. Betty claimed that Borney was in some kind of sleepwalk state and wasn't answering when she called out to him. They were taken aboard what purported to be a spaceship. They were placed on a metal table, separate from each other, as humanoid-like creatures began taking samples of their hair, skin, and nails. For the next two hours, they were submitted to a complete physical and intellectual examination, questioned about life on Earth. They just entered another world when they entered that spaceship. Over 70 years later, the Betty and Barney Hill case remains one of the most horrifying and hardest to debunk cases in American history. Do you want this on my lapel? Yes, please. I'll never forget that day. This is Kathleen Martin, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. I was 13 years old in 1961 when Betty and Barney were abducted. She recalls vividly the day that all their lives would change as a family. My mother was on the phone with Betty. I listened. My mother was concerned, and I knew that something was wrong. When she hung up the phone, she told me Betty and Barney had seen a flying saucer up close the night before. They were afraid they'd been contaminated. For the spaceship, now I'm a space cadet. Big white mansion in my habitat. Aim right at stage like a laser tag. Fuck a wish, never rich set. Smoke a lot of trees, need a weed plant. I did take a lean where the lean at. Sleeping on these jeans is a beanbag. Got me going jeans, cause I'm cool right. She know she was overseas, they were pan level. Shop in Tokyo, Japan, they the best of them. Blue bear t shirt, sleeve vanilla. Hot top, turn the vert, riding any weather. Ain't gotta bend down the same to propeller. Man, we spend the dime, cop Gucci sweaters. Instead of dripping, drowning like a nine helper. It's booming out of guys, we are not the devil. High Strange is an eight part series released weekly for free every Thursday. But if you'd like to binge the whole series right now, you can. Subscribe to Tinderfoot Plus on Apple Podcasts to get all the episodes right now. Follow the show on TikTok and Instagram at High Strange. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Payne Lindsay. If you have your own UFO story, email us at tips at highstrange.com. High Strange is a production by Tinderfoot TV in association with Cadence 13. Created, hosted, and edited by myself, Payne Lindsay. Executive producers are myself, and Donald Albright. Editing by Mike Rooney, Cooper Skinner, and myself. Original score by Makeup and Vanity Set. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Cooper Skinner. 
Additional production by Mike Rooney, Dylan Harrington, Eric Quintana, Sean Nurney, Meredith Stedman, and Sydney Evans. Our cover art is by Polygon. This episode features the song Space Cadet by Metro Boomin featuring Gunna, written by Wesley Tyre Glass, Sergio Kitchens, Leland Tyler Wayne, Alan Ritter, and Jacques Webster, performed by Metro Boomin featuring Gunna, courtesy of Republic Records, under license from Universal Music Enterprises for Metro Boomin and 300 Entertainment for Gunna. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum and the whole team at UTA, the Nord Group, Station 16, Beck Media and Marketing, as well as Chris Corcoran and the team at Cadence 13. Check out the show's website at highstrange.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please help us out by rating and reviewing the podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening. 